Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media. You can apply machine learning to find those correlations, and sometimes I guess it appears like magic, but in actual fact, it's doing what humans, the best marketers, have always done, just faster and better, and at scale. Hello, I'm Stacey Gota, Portfolio Director at Ashton Media, and your host of this new Ashton Cast series, Reimagine Marketing, brought to you by our friends at SAS, Leaders in Analytics. These are short, sharp stories and solutions to the biggest challenges in marketing, advertising, media, and CX. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and comment and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Ashton Cast on all of the major podcast players, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, and more. I'm thrilled to have Justin Feng, Customer Intelligence Specialist at SAS with us on Ashton Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thrilled to be here, Stacey. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Um, so let's kick off by talking about uh, CX and marketing, which is, is obviously you know, two disciplines that have changed dramatically over the last few years. How have you seen those two disciplines evolve in line with technologies like AI and automation? Yeah, it's really interesting because I have been on the journey of focusing on the customer through advertising and marketing for uh, over 15 years. And I came from above the line, which is like TV, billboards, out of home, um, and then moved into digital. Well, actually started in digital, went to above the line and went back again to digital. And the focus on the customer has evolved with technology where technology enables you to be more present with the individual mm. and it's we've kind of gone from selling to the individual to selling to the mass markets right back again to selling to the individuals and uh, it's really interesting when that when the technology empowers people to be able to do that the strategies and the methods and the communication styles also change along with it. Yeah, we've yeah we've come full circle for sure. Thinking more specifically about the applications of automation, as an example, why does automation become a key investment for you know the efficient use of resources, but also in better meeting the needs of our customers? So I look at automation as two sides. There's the internal side of automation and the external facing side of automation. On the left-hand side, you would have internal automation. And those are things like notifying an internal team when a customer takes an action or when something within the campaign needs attention. Then you have the external automation, which is you know, things like timely emails or timely SMSs. Uh, timely communication within the website through personalization, for example. And then an extension of that is automating campaign rollouts in, say, social media so that you're retargeting, remarketing en masse. So the role of automation really uh, is like, you know, having multiple sets of arms and (laughs) empowering teams to do more faster. Yeah, it really helps to achieve that sense of scale as well, I guess. Yeah, and scale is something that, you know, we've been talking about in at least the startup world for a very long time. And marketers love that phrase scale because it means that, uh, you know, you can play with the latest gadgets and tools and toys and, and, and why not, right? But when it comes down to it, scale 
is important because as brands continue to grow, to reach across borders, to reach across uh, demographics, that word scale means just being able to uh, communicate on mass while still being personable and uh, without you know doubling, tripling your team in order to do that. Shifting gears a little bit to think about the role of attribution modeling, which is obviously another really important aspect of marketing. Um, what are some of the key challenges you've faced or you've seen companies face in, in attribution modeling and how can they work to overcome some of those to unlock its true potential? Yeah, attribution modeling can be a bit of an academic topic if um, if you let it be. And so I'm going to try not to be academic. There are, you know, there are so many ways to look at attribution. There's, you know, uh, position-based, first click, last click. Uh, then there's, it, it, it just gets even more complicated from there. Um, so the way that I look at it is like this. Back in the day when we used to do uh traditional advertising, let's call it, above the line where it wasn't digital and digital marketing was coming to the fore, digital marketers would say things like, uh, well, we would hear things like our clients saying, I know 50% of my marketing is working. I just don't know which 50%. (laughs) And we used to use that as a flag to say, see, that's why digital marketing is better because we can tell you which 50% because we can track ROI. It turns out the same could go for digital marketing now. Anyone who's ever spent more than 15 minutes seriously trying to figure out which part of their PPC or uh, paid advertising is working best will tell you that it's very difficult to see which 50% is working the best. Now, if you had a very simple marketing mix of just Facebook then sure, you're just looking at Facebook and you can see the results of which ad sets are working best and which campaigns are working best. But what happens when your customer journey touches multiple platforms? What if they see your ad on Facebook, they click to the website, they leave, they remember your brand later on and Google it, click on your ad and then come back? Which piece of that did the best job of converting a sale. So then what we would do is we would go to Google's attribution uh, tool and say, well, which one did it? And of course, what would you expect? Google says they did the most part. And if you go to Facebook, uh, Facebook will say, Facebook's attribution platform will say they did the most part. Now, neither of them are lying. And it's because academically, you can change one little nuance and it'll change what uh, what touch point did the most work simply by saying it was last click or it was first click. And you can choose data-driven uh, attribution modeling, but the thing is, it's still biased because somebody is choosing how to tune and fine-tune the, the algorithm. So one thing that we're very Uh, adamant about at SAS is that we've developed our own data analytics driven attribution model that we can apply to all platforms and we have no skin in the game in the sense that we don't it doesn't matter to us which one performs the best we're just monitoring and reporting back on it. So what does that best practice attribution modeling look like? Well I think it's you we have to accept that there's a certain level of irreducible complexity that it isn't as simple as which ad 
resulted in a conversion because humans aren't that simple. And the way that we search and find and research and evaluate our next step is not always rational. Sometimes it's emotional, which means that our buyer journey isn't linear. It is actually a squiggle. Not everybody's squiggle looks the same as somebody else's squiggle. So <laughs> so, so that said, best practice is embedding technology that allows us to do the hard math to find statistical significance, to use anomaly detection to find what paths and what combinations of touch points, timing, privacy settings, and all of those uh, variables, which ones combine to create best outcomes and impact for the business. Where do you think the potential of AI lies in, in how we engage and connect with our customers? You know, everybody says that they do AI. It's kind of like when blockchain came out as a phrase, everybody's doing blockchain, or when dot-com came out, everyone's doing dot-com. The reality is, is that there's been some level of artificial intelligence at play in our life for a very long time now. Any gamer would tell you that when they are playing against the computer, they're playing against an artificial intelligence. To some level, it's AI. And there are organizations that have been using artificial intelligence to help them make better decisions faster and find connections uh, where a human would, you know, be slower at finding those connections. You might think of the FBI or you might think of uh, medical companies or pharmaceutical businesses. It's just marketers that have only recently gained access to those tools. And I suppose there are lots of reasons for that, but I feel like marketing has only just dipped its toe and the majority of the market is saying that AI in marketing is about A-B testing or multivariate testing or chat, uh, automated chat platforms or email subject testing, you know? And that is like saying... Uh, if I have a steering wheel, I therefore have a car. It's one piece of the car, it's true, but it's definitely not everything that AI can do and is already doing. So I think the thing for marketers and CX professionals, um, anyone who is even remotely invested in the, the value that lies within customer data and making a better customer experience will leverage the power of AI to be able to do more faster, to replicate human tasks and uh, to go beyond that automation, but to allow the machine to learn from data, to find correlations and significance where perhaps a human couldn't. Now, I guess in the past you would... A, a human who could, and I'm talking about humans and robots, it's, it sounds so funny, but we need to make the distinction, I guess, because for now, we, can't, we know the difference between AI and a human, right? So humans, they might have been great marketers in the past if they had an instinct for what made people tick. Now, with the amount of data that humans, just society produces, just hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, you can apply machine learning to uh, to find those, I guess, intuitively find those those correlations. Um, and sometimes, I guess, it appears like magic, but in actual fact, 
It's doing what humans, the best marketers have always done, just faster and Mm. better and at scale. There's no doubt that artificial intelligence has enormous potential, but how has AI yielded results, real results for companies that, you know, have invested in its development? That's a great question. And I think there is uh, probably we would do a disservice to AI if we didn't talk more broadly. At SAS, we are very privileged to have a, a founder who believes very much in AI and has literally invested $1 billion into the technology. It's meant that we are able to um, defend and keep our place as the global leaders, according to independent analysts, in machine learning and data science platforms. In fact, if you look at the charts, no other MarTech vendor is even there. So I think we should speak a little more broadly than marketing for just a second. We found that if we applied machine learning and AI to hospitals looking for cancer within MRI scans, that the machine was able to find and detect cancer much earlier on by recognizing objects within imagery at a much more minute scale and find patterns that are occurring and track the the, the growth of cancer and, and other malicious bodies really quickly. So how does that apply to marketing? Well, like we said, we want the machine to learn from itself and we want them to be able to detect objects. In this case, the objects are data points and the data points relate to activities done by people. So another example of how AI has yielded real-world results for uh, businesses in the marketing context is one of our customers, the WWF. The WWF had direct marketing campaigns, as in, you know, printed material, printed collateral. And then they were also uh, marketing online, just like, you know, most brands these days. However, the bridge between what was working offline and online was a little too hard to close, firstly from a structural, uh, a data structure point of view, so we helped them bridge that gap. But then we applied machine learning on it, and uh, AI was able to look at the spend and the results from both sides of that divide and say, well, actually, you're double up mailing on one segment of um, a market, and you don't need to. And this perform this channel performs best in in um, concert with this other channel, and they were able to increase the revenue that they had from uh, from their marketing spend by twenty five percent within the first year, and cut the number of printed collateral by five hundred thousand pieces of paper. So you would look at that and say, well, is five hundred thousand that much? For an organization like the WWF, they don't just measure impact by dollars uh, returned or dollars spent. They also measure it with how well we steward the resources of the planet. And, you know, we can't steal from the left hand in order to pay the right hand. And so for them, it was an incredible win because they were able to cut down the amount of printed collateral they were creating and get a, a, a business benefit from it. Yeah, that's great. Double whammy. And a good ethos to have as a business as well, being aware of that. Definitely. And it's it's interesting that it it was actually technology that helped them do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we assume that technology makes things worse, but in this case, it actually helped the planet. <laughs> that's great. 
What do you see as being next for our customers and, and the ways in which we communicate with them? What will they come to expect from us? The greatest danger with technology is always that we lose the ability to be human, that we lose the skills that's required to speak to people like they're people. Do you remember when banner ads came out? All of a sudden, um, you've got these things flashing in your face and your eyeballs are, are sore. And, <laughs> and there's a phrase that marketers don't like, but I think everybody can have a, a little wry smile about. It's that marketers ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a technology that emerges, <laughs> marketers are pretty quick to jump on it and, and see how we can use it to, to, um, to spread our mes- message far and wide and track more people. So look, I think, I think um, coming back to your question, the, where technology is going to take us, it comes with two parts uh, that we will need to consider. One, it'll help us be more targeted, more personal, and more relevant to the people we're speaking to. It removes a lot of the divides that exist in a digital space. On the flip side, we'll also need to be more responsible. We'll need to be more responsible with privacy. We'll need to not take advantage of the fact that we can turn up in people's lounge rooms and blast messages. We need to be mindful of that because at the end of the day, technology doesn't build brands. People build brands. And if you leverage technology in a way that takes you out of the sweet spot and puts you into the creep spot, then you're going to be hurting your brand long term. And if we experience anything like what we've experienced in COVID, again, I hope we don't, but if we do, it's the strong brands that survive, the ones that are doing best for their customers, who have the most trust, the most loyalty, the most transparency, and the most relevance. Mm. There has always been, you know, that emphasis on empathy and creating meaningful experiences, but I think that's really come into the spotlight during this, during this difficult time. Yes, that's right. Uh, and how brands interpret empathy is, is uh, I think, another thing. I think a data scientist would try to interpret em- empathy within data and uh, <laughs> a traditional marketer will try to determine empathy within, um, within human relationships. Mm. And I think the, the reality is that it's going to be a mix of both. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so we're going to mix things up now and move into a bit more of a kind of quick fire round. So to kick us off with that, who would you look up to as a mentor or role model in the industry? You know, right now, I think I think it's really important to actually have inspiration beyond the industry. Mm. And I think that's where the best ideas are going to come from. Right now, I would probably say Simon Sinek because of his work with the Infinite Game. Uh, there's a time and a place to be competitive, but com- competitiveness isn't always the thing that you should be doing. Sometimes the best competitor is yourself. And I reckon right now, the thing that we should all be focusing on, at, well, at least I should be focusing on, and I would like um, my customers to be focusing on, is making their businesses better, their brands better, and competing against themselves. And that'll only serve uh, the end goal of, you know, making things better for the customer. Yeah, that's a great notion. Um, and what books or podcasts are you consuming right now that are helping you with your day-to-day? Yeah, unfortunately, I have ADD when it comes to books and I read so many at once. Um, <laughs> right now, I'm binging um, the uh, Anti-Fragile, I'm binging Black Swan and... Um, Skin in the Game. So you've heard me mention Skin in the Game, and that's because it's fresh for me. Um, so yeah, that's Nicholas Taleb. 
and also Sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah. Oh, I've heard great things. It's on my list. It's on my list. What is the trend in the industry or in customer experience and marketing that you're most excited about? You know, excited is such a, it's it's a catch-22 <laughs> because nervousness feels a lot like, like excitement. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you do public speaking, they say, turn your nervousness into excitement yeah. and people interpret it as passion. Um, okay, so I think the thing that makes me most excited and also most nervous is the evolution of the role of CMO. I think marketers and CX leaders are really one and the same thing. Somebody once said that marketers are engineers, they just don't know it yet. And I think the in the next five years, if not in the next year, we'll see more scrutiny around what the role of the CMO actually is. And there are, you know, the pressures of recovery ROI after COVID and mm. and, you know, justifying every spend and and developing cross-functional teams and it really is going to take a certain kind of leader to be able to sit abreast of all of that now when you think about the kind of leadership that is required in that context i think the role of the cmo is going to evolve i don't think it's an adaptation i think it's it's a whole evolution and much more is going to be expected of um whoever heads up the customer data, be it marketing, be it operations and CX, uh, that person is going to become like the central in- intelligence hub within an organization. It's a much more important role. It is different to IT and tech and technology. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of concern about privacy security at the moment, Yeah, but I think there's also equal concern uh, with job security and Recently, I, I saw a thing from a, the Google algorithm where they compiled, I think, a thousand responses of what the CMO's role actually is. And then they asked their algorithm to find one paragraph, compile it all into one single paragraph about what others think the role of the CMO is. And it was absolutely fascinating. It's probably too much for me to get into here, but definitely Google it, look it up. Um, it's also on my LinkedIn. I posted it. And it's essentially what I just said, that the CMO role is they are seen as this magic wand across everything. And it's only just going to get more and more concrete. Like you need data and insights and human um, intuition to Mm. be able to figure out what is best for the customer. Is there a trend in the industry that you wish would change in some way or stop? Yeah. And... um, I probably shoot myself in the foot saying this. <laughs> the the trend that I see is an over reliance on technology. I think it's a real danger uh, to be to assume that technology solves everything. On the other hand, I love technology and I especially love marketing technology. I love AI. The danger is I don't want it to make our industry lazy mm. when it comes to understanding people. Something happens when you're hidden behind a screen, and now more so. You know, I've been sitting in working from home and it's it's almost as though like, Stacy, you forget to use how to use your facial expressions <laughs> because you haven't needed to use them for yeah. so long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on video calls, there's just this the stare into the into the camera thing <laughs> and the, so the slight smile and nod, slight, slight smile and nod, <laughs> you know, and look, and I think it's like that when when it comes to marketing uh, and even sales, sometimes we can be so into our tools 
um, and trying to understand our customer as interpreted through data, that um, we lose that uh, function of knowing what makes people tick. That's probably my biggest fear in the industry at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely that kind of augmentation between the human and the the tech side of things that have real potential. That's right. Yeah. One more and you're off the hook. So if you could tell someone 10 years ago one interesting thing about how innovations in tech would transform how we connect and engage with our customers, what would that one thing be? Ooh, I think 10 years ago I had just, actually it was more than 10 years ago, I just exited um, advertising uh, where ideas were king. Mm. And for a time I felt like, maybe ideas could be injected into um, digital advertising, digital marketing. And what I found was it's not as easy because the data will show you that sometimes just being direct rather than being creative gets the job done better. (laughs) (laughs) So what I would say to me 10 years ago is, is be open to the data telling you what works but at the same time don't let the desire to be creative and to be funny and to be insightful uh, die don't let that die and just let data replace everything because i think that would be a mistake what a great note to end on thank you so much justin thank you so much stacy On the next episode of the Reimagine Marketing series, we'll be playing the full interview with Rachel McDermott, Associate Director of CX at Optus. Stay tuned. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment, and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Astroncast on all of the major podcast players, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Go to astronmedia.com.au slash Ashtoncast for more info. This episode was produced by Podpaste and Ashton Media here in Sydney, Australia. Executive produced by Justin Theng, Stephanie Downs, and Stacey Gota. Supervising producer, Darren Lake. Audio production, sound design, and engineering by Eamon Connolly. Story writing producer, Charles Montano. And podcast management by Michelle Lee. Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media.